Welcome back, everyone. Here we are back at Clubhouse Talk. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time of day it is out there that you're joining us on this podcast journey. I appreciate you having a wonderful one. Uh, we're, we're back at you. We're, we're hitting you coming weekly. College football's in full swing. NFL's in full swing. And uh, you know we have some we have some exciting news tonight. We we have uh, some breaking news that we might be pulling out. Um, but before we get to that, I want to uh, I want to introduce Brett. How are you? Or Brett's back in with us this week. How are you doing tonight, tonight man? I'm doing great. A uh, little bit a little bit over my hangover after the uh, the Nebraska game. Um, my my college football hangover that is with uh, the way our game went, but. Yeah, I'm doing great. Ready for another weekend. It's been a, I'm sure it's been a long, long week out there in Omaha. And I know we've got a lot of uh, Scott Frost, Nebraska to talk about. But the uh, the good news that I wanted to bring out to our listeners tonight is that uh, I am officially promoting you, Brad. I am going to officially uh, – uh, what is it, knight you? That's the uh, that's the British way. We're, we're going to knight you in as uh, an official – podcast co-host tonight and uh so i'm happy you've uh, you've been you've been on a long journey with me since basically basketball season so you've, you've well then more than earned your keep and we uh we're excited to have you as an official co-host of clubhouse talk i appreciate it and i'm excited I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity we will uh we'll see we'll see how it goes you know there there's it's a it's a very competitive world out there brett so there's always people coming to nip at your heels so you gotta stay on top of your game oh you know me i love to compete <laughs> no nah, but we we appreciate it. it's been it's been a good run since uh since back in the spring but no we'll we'll jump we'll jump right into it because i don't think we need too much uh fruit fruit talk to to get into this week because boy was uh was this a exciting college football week a, a week two that i think a lot of people thought could be a little bit of a snooze fest. Uh, you had not too many uh, big games that you thought were going to be competitive. I mean, you had Texas, Alabama, which we all thought go back and listen last week, me, you and Joe all said that this was going to be a route. Alabama wasn't going to keep it close. You had Pitt, Tennessee, you thought might be pretty decent. You had Florida, Kentucky, that might be decent. And then the late, late night, you had Utah Baylor that you thought, okay, that could be a good game too. But you didn't expect them all to be great. And we got an entire football day worth about 10, right? No, about, about 12, 14 hours, depending on what time of day you started at. Um, yeah, and what time you finished at. You got probably about 14 hours of great college football with the Baylor game not ending until 2 a.m. Yeah, it was a great day. It was jam-packed. There's lots of upsets. And I'm, I'm excited to break this down with you. <laughs> so, I mean – Trying to think of where we where we got to start. I think we got to just start with with the overall Sun Belt Conference. Um, what a what a Saturday for the Sun Belt. Um, three huge, just ginormous upsets on on Saturday. Uh, you have Marshall taking down Notre Dame. You have Texas A and M falling to App State, which I mean App State's not by no means a, a poor program, but I mean App's but Texas A&M is, was a bona fide college football playoff contender. They were, they were one of your picks this year, if I'm not mistaken. They were, they were playoff and it's not a hundred percent over. At least it's a non-conference loss, but it, it sure is an ugly one. I mean, they look terrible. And then 
and then your your Cornhuskers out there losing to Georgia Southern. So it was a wild, wild Saturday that was pretty much just run by the Sun Belt, which was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, I can't think of another weekend where a G5 conference had so much success against high high major Power 5 teams. We've already had more top 10 teams lose to unranked teams this year with three games than we did all of last season with one game um, through two weeks. It's it's just wild what's happening. But um, you know what I think I, I want to I think I want to start with with AM because uh, the Marshall one as surprising as that game is, and it was probably a bigger upset. I think it was based off point spreads. If you're just the biggest upset meter, but I, I think the, the shocking one to the general public is going to be the app state game um, of AM and just how anemic their offense looked, putting up 14 points, seven of those coming from special teams and getting downright dominated in the game. I think the, the play call, the, the plays run was like 82 to 38 time of possession was 40 minutes. It was like 42 minutes to 17 minutes. It was, it was an absolute, it was an ass whooping. <laughs> yeah. Upstate controlled the game in all three facets of the game. Honestly. I mean, if you control the play clock, you control the game and it's not like the penalty yardage was overly favored to one side. It was, five penalties for 55 yards for App State and seven penalties for 60 yards for AM. And I mean, AM just couldn't get the ball rolling. I mean, they had under 100 passing yards, under 100 rushing yards, had two turnovers. Like, they, they really just could not get anything going. And I, th- I think a lot of that points to their quarterback play. Um, Ace King was kind of underwhelming, if you ask me. Um, I, I don't know if, if a lot of people really expected him to be a, a wow factor quarterback this year, but I, I sure, certainly didn't expect this. Um, I mean, there's a number of quarterbacks this year that have really under been really underwhelming. Um, Anthony Richardson is another one um, that I can think off of the top of my head um, who I really have been impressed with um, through the first two games. No, he's yeah. We'll get to them later of that game that. Um, but it, it's just been it, – you're right. I mean, it, um, Haynes Kane looked absolutely terrible. I, I don't know what you do at this point other than I think you've got to change – I feel like you've got to change the Max Johnson. I mean, the first two weeks – granted, they played Sam Houston State the first week, and Sam Houston State was – they didn't look great, but they they dominated in the game because I think it was 31 to nothing. But, uh you go out and you play an app state team that the week prior went and ran a track meet with UNC and a freshman quarterback. It was 60 to 60, 60 or whatever that game was. Um, we, we talked about how crazy that, that game, how you couldn't stop either of those offenses. Uh, and, you know, they gave up a billion yards to North Carolina and AM couldn't move the ball. And I'm just trying to figure out how, how North Carolina, a team with a freshman quarterback, and nowhere near as talented of an offensive line and, and skill players as AM. And then AM can't do anything a week later. Yeah, it's, it's, it is truly surprising. Um, I mean, like you said, they didn't look great against Sam Houston State, but I sure didn't expect them to lose to Appalachian State. And like you said earlier in the podcast, App State's not a bad team. Um, they've had success in the Sun Belt the past few years. Um, they're beating some pretty good teams, but 
with the type of recruiting class that AM brought in this past year, I certainly expected more out of them. No, nah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't lose to AFC if you're AM. I mean, it's just something that you might have a snooze fest. But if you told me before the game that AM was going to hold them to 17 points, I would have said that they probably would have. I think it was a 17, 18 point spread. I would have said they probably would have covered. I, I wouldn't have ex- thought that they would have a problem putting up 34 based off what I saw the previous week. And so, I mean, that. Or, I think A&M's got themselves in a really, really hard place right now. You got Jimbo Fisher, who is uh, not under-delivering, uh, under-delivering. I mean, he's getting – he had the number one program in the nation last year in recruiting, um, and he looks like he's getting the program in the right – going the right way. They beat Alabama last year, but it's – somehow at the end of the season, every year feels like it's eight and four, and they're paying him a whole lot more money than what you should be paying somebody to go eight and four. <laughs> right. Um, one other little nugget that I kind of found interesting that I just saw. Um, Haynes King isn't necessarily a dual threat quarterback, but they only ran the ball 10 times with their running backs in that game with one running back. They, they only played one running back um, or only gave carries to one running, running back, I should say. And they only, they only gave him the ball 10 times. If you're AM, you absolutely have to take advantage of your line play and just dominate the line of scrimmage. I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I, I don't understand the the play calling by, by Jimbo and his staff there. That, that makes no sense to me because I, you would think that when you're, when you have that much of a talent gap, I'm not going to say that they could just line an eye, line up an eye formation and run the ball down the throat every play, but they basically should be able to line up, in an eye formation and run off tackle run in between the A and B gaps and just mix it up going uh weak side, strong side. And they should probably be able to get two or three. They should be get, be able to get three yards in every single play and run that four times in a row and work their way down the field uh, methodically. I mean, I just, it's absolutely mind boggling and it really brings up the point that it's like Jimbo is, his inability to adapt, unlike Saban. It's like that's the one thing he never took from Saban is that Jimbo has been able to develop quarterbacks mostly, and he's been able to do all these great things like a Nick Saban, but he's never been able to adapt. I think he's stuck in his own ways right now. 100% agree. I 100% agree with that. So I, I don't know where AM goes from here because their stretch over the next five games is downright brutal you have miami coming to town this weekend um arkansas is a neutral site you have bama on the docket i think you have a trip to baton rouge if i'm not mistaken in there it's it's not going to be an easy stretch coming up for them over the next four weeks five weeks and if you're sitting there as a&m and you're one and one and four i mean what the hell are you gonna do when you come into the season expecting college football playoff aspirations. I, I don't know where you go because Jimbo's got a $90 million buyout. So you're not getting a new coach. It's just like, I, you have to, I guess, just do an overhaul of staff. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess, I don't know how Jimbo runs his uh, team down there. I don't know if he's the one making offensive play calls. Um, I don't remember if he was an offensive or defensive coordinator prior to being a head coach. But yeah, I think I think overhauling your your coordinators, maybe position coaches as well, um, 
could definitely add some juice to their program. That's um, funny. And you, you, you Google Jimbo Fisher, the first thing that comes up is Jimbo Fisher buyout. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I was saying, uh, I don't, I don't, I really don't know where they go with this. Um, I don't necessarily expect them to um, have poor performances like this going forward. Um, it is still early in the season, so I guess you can't fully tell. But I guess only time time will tell. Yeah, he was he was the OC at Florida State before he got um, hired up uh, to be so he runs from the offensive side and I think it's concerning I don't know if I don't know if he's calls the plays down there or not but I mean it's something to monitor if AM goes out wins this weekend and knocks off Miami um he, it's not an upset because they're the I, they're probably ranked around the same I don't know where they stand or even what the point spread is in that game but uh, oh wait it's uh it's AM five and a half so they're they're wouldn't be an upset by standards of Vegas. Um, I think it gets them back on track for whatever they want for the rest of the season. At least it's not a conference loss. It's just like it really opens up your eyes and you get really, really worried and you run into a really tough stretch here. And it, these things, this could spiral out of control very, very quickly. Yep. So College Station, uh, you got some some tough, tough roads ahead. But you know what? I don't think those roads are – I don't know if those roads are as tough of uh, the roads of South Bend, Indiana right now, because um, I, the Marcus Freeman era could not have started any worse. You have he's 0 and three now after a horrendous loss to Marshall. And just like in, no, he's on three. He started, uh, he, he lost the bowl game last year. He, he was the coach of the bowl game. Um, as Brett was trying to sit here and throw two fingers up in my face as if I'm an idiot. Um, but no, so he so he's 0-3 technically because he started the bowl game against OK State last year. So two of them have been against very, very good opponents in OK State and Ohio State. Um what was concerning was that Marshall looked like the better team. I think that if I think if they played another quarter of football, Marshall wins that game by more, not Notre Dame comes back and wins the game. It was it was just not a pretty effort. It was a lot like that App State game. Um and so, yeah, I, I I don't know what what on earth to think about the Marcus Freeman era because it's just just a rough 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 start. Um, inept offense, defense looks fine, but they just they don't have any special playmakers, and it looks a lot like what you saw against Ohio State, where they really couldn't do anything on offense. Defense looks good, um, but the uh, the feeling good of a close loss in the horseshoe those things are long long gone. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Their offense didn't really do anything for me. Um, Tyler Buckner used his legs pretty well. He got in the end zone two times, but he also threw two interceptions. Um, they really did not get their run game going, just kind of similar to AM, like I think they should have. Um, 130 yards on the game um, against Marshall, a team that you should dominate the line if you're Notre Dame against. Um, and 44 of those 130 rushing yards came from your quarterback, um, who again, isn't, isn't known to be a dual threat guy. No, 
Um, and if I'm not mistaken, he got hurt at the end of the game too. So they're going to be rolling. Yep. They're he's going to they're going to be rolling the backup quarterback going forward. Um, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but yeah, I didn't see the end of the game. What what happened to him? Uh, he got hit. He got hit hard going in the sideline. Um, from what I saw on the replay, I believe, and that's for uh, the uh, shoulder. Uh, it it looked like it was a shoulder injury. So, gotcha. Um, yeah. I, it, it, from what was looking like, hey, Notre Dame, you have a nine-win nine season. That's probably looking pretty good. To start off this, it's a tough schedule. I don't know if I see bowl game. I, mean, I, I don't want to be the Mr. Week 2 overreaction, but that's a great team still left on your schedule. I know you got USC on your schedule. You've got Clemson on your schedule. You have BYU on your schedule. Those are three hard games. I mean, North Carolina is another team that – You're going to have to put up points against North Carolina. I don't know. If right. And so right. – So, yeah, I mean, that's that's four games right there. You slip up against anybody else, it's very doable to, to not make a bowl game. And for a, such a proud and historic program like Notre Dame, I, and that's just got to be the worst case scenario coming into the season was not making a bowl game. Yeah, I don't think anyone expected that. And I don't think that this is an indictment on who Marcus Freeman is as a coach. I think it's just he can have a lot to work with and he's going to need some time. But it doesn't help It doesn't help build any extra momentum for him or, or a little bit extra saving graces if you have that good first year and then maybe you come next year, then people uh, aren't so quick to forgive. Your, your clock starts uh, ticking a little bit sooner. Yep. So that was that was upset number two out of the South Belt or Sub Belt, and then you get to upset number three, which um, I promise we won't spend the full hour on it. Even though I think me and you probably could, if I had opened this up to all of your friends, then this would have been nothing but a Nebraska uh, podcast tonight. Because uh, you had Georgia Southern, who I did say last week, um, that team is very capable of going in and beating people at their own place. They did it for a long time ago. I had no clue uh, Clay Helton was the coach there. And Georgia Southern goes in and wins a shootout, 45-42 over Nebraska in uh, in Memorial. Uh, what is it, Lincoln Memorial Stadium, right? Um, Memorial Stadium. Memorial Just Memorial Stadium. Stadium. In, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And Scott Frost ruins a very historic record for Nebraska of, I believe it was 258 and 0 at home when you score 35 points. And it's the first loss ever in that stadium. Losing the most yards we've ever given up. Most yards ever given up. And finally, we, we talked about this of would Scott Frost make it to October 1st, was the talk two weeks ago. And we're all agreed at least he's going to make it October 1st. It was just a matter more like, does he make it to the end of the season? And Scott Frost got paid an extra seven and a half million dollars to not work for three weeks. That's how bad things got was that he got paid seven and a half million dollars to stop working on September 11th instead of stop working on September 30th. That is mind boggling and just asinine. But I don't think it's a wrong decision either. It's just like, that's how bad the situation is. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was at the game and I've been a frost supporter 
his entire time in Lincoln. And after watching that game, after watching how our defense, I mean, our offense played fine, honestly. Our offense played great. But watching our defense struggle and just really showing no fire, um, I, I kind of came to the conclusion as I was sitting in the stands, watching people walk out, kind of waiting for it to clear up. I, I was telling two of my friends that I was with, I was, I was saying, man, I, I, I've supported him for this long, but I, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I threw in the towel and I, I thought it was time to go and woke up the next morning to hearing the news that he got fired. And I mean, I, I can say I was a little surprised that he was fired the next day, but I think it was the right thing to do. I mean, you, you risk at this point of everyone knew what you lost that game. He was hundred percent gone and was really hundred percent gone by the buyout. Right after the buyout, it was kind of what, what everyone would have thought if he wasn't fired on Sunday. And then you just kind of run the risk of for the next three weeks. I can't imagine any player would have been motivated to go into workouts in the morning. I can't imagine any player would have been motivated to practice knowing that their coach is a full dead man walking. Um, so you cut bait now and you maybe be able to salvage something. This season, but the schedule is still somewhat workable. Um, five games for a bowl game. I think that there's potential for it to be there if the, if Mickey Joseph and company can turn this thing around. Um, but you know, I want to I want to take us back in time for a second, Brad, and put us in the year of 2017. And Scott Frost is coming off of a undefeated season at UCF. Clay Helton has just won the Pac-12 at USC. And I walk up to you and I say that Clay Helton's Georgia Southern Eagles are going to be the the final straw that broke the camel's back for Scott Frost's Nebraska team. Would you have, like, called cops on me? <laughs> I'd have punched you in the face, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just the most mind-boggling thing to think about how fast things turn in five years. But, um, but yeah, it, it's almost a little bit uh, poetic that Clay Helton was fired two games in last year. And uh, his Eagles are the ones that finally finally cut it out for Scott Frost. But the, the talk is now, all right, Nebraska, you're, you're first up on the docket. I mean, they're not going to hire anybody here in the middle of the season. But it's, uh, it's everybody's favorite time. And that's, that's, coach, that's hot border time, um, figuring out who's going to be the, uh, the next head coach in Nebraska. Do you want to spend a few minutes of talking about where we, where we think our uh, coaching hot boards are? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I can shoot out a few names and kind of bounce some, some thoughts off each other. So um, obviously, first up is I think you got to start with Mickey Joseph. But, uh, I mean, guy's got to get his. This is his interview. The next the next nine weeks is his interview. Um, he has more than enough opportunity now. I think you you write it out. You see what he does. If Mickey rallies the troops and they go, well, you have played three games already, right? Because this, yeah, you played. You've gotten three games since you started week zero. So if you go six and three, um, I, I think that absolutely puts you in the square of the running. You go five and four, and you're probably being passed over, in my opinion. I mean, I think you probably got to get seven wins to truly earn it right off just by the season. Um, I don't know what your thoughts of, of what Mickey would have to do from here on out to keep his spot there is go from in front and be promoted. That was exactly my thought, um, and I really hope Mickey is the guy because that means that we have salvaged the season at least a little bit, whether it's making a bowl, which we haven't done in the Frost tenure. I've made a bowl in six years. 
five years, six years. Um, since we played Tennessee, actually. <laughs> yeah, that would have been the end of 2016. 2016. So, um, yeah, I, I hope it's Joseph. I hope Mickey can turn it around. I, I, have, I have faith in the guy. Um, whether or not he's ready to be a head coach, I think will that will be what's determined in these next nine games. Um, I guess a few other names I'll I'll throw out there that um, are kind of in the rumor mill now. Um, we'll start with we'll start with um, one that I personally don't think will happen, but it's an interesting one. Is Urban Meyer? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think Urban Meyer at Nebraska would be a downright disaster. I think you cannot have a I just don't think you can have a guy that is so disorganized and just an absolute I, I mean I think that he has the potential to walk in Nebraska and go 10 and 2 in his first year. I think he has the potential to go 2 and 10 and get his get his butt hand like he did in Jacksonville. I just I don't see how you can take the risk on a guy like Urban Meyer that, yeah, I know he won at Florida and I know he won at Ohio State, but times are in this NIL era and this transfer portal era are very different than what he dealt with. And when he was big time successful, he has the propensity to jump and run with these health issues and family issues. Uh, I just think you need somebody that is far far more stable uh, for this program right now than somebody like Urban Meyer. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. Um, stability is definitely an issue with him. Um, but like you said, I, he does have the ability to make this team a winning team again, and I think that's what a lot of Nebraska fans are craving right now. Um, and I think there's two sides of the spectrum of this with Nebraska fans. Um, there's the one side that's all about it, all about let's just get the best guy who get the best coach. And I think Urban is the best coach, or is he the best coach for Nebraska? And that's where the other side comes in and says, no, he's not. He is dysfunctional. He is he he is the Urban Meyer we've seen the past four or five years where he hasn't been after Ohio State and he's had all these all these things come out about him. I mean, the Jacksonville stuff, all, all the stuff with uh, Zach uh Who's this? Yes, yeah, kicker. His, Are you talking about the kicker? No, his his uh, offensive analyst that. Oh. Something. Yeah. All all of that all of that stuff definitely definitely puts a, a damper. I don't on. know how you. I don't know how he could walk into the house of a brute and look a parent in the eye and be like, "I'm going to protect your son." They truly believe it. That's that's something too. Um, and I, I, I guess I don't know. Um, I've obviously never been a college football recruit, so I don't know how you weigh that against the, the, the potential to put your kid in the league. Um, it certainly does, but you know, it's not going to help is the fact that Nebraska gets Oklahoma at the big noon kickoff this Saturday. So urban Meyer is going to find his way in, into Lincoln this weekend. And <laughs> it's only going to fuel the rumors. And, and you know what? I get it. Tennessee fans did this every year for, for three straight coaching cycles with John Gruden. It was the, it was the big name coach. It was the, you're right. It, it probably is the best coach coach that's out there, but that doesn't always mean that he is the best coach um, for Nebraska. So I, if I'm, if I'm Trev Alberts, I go far, far, far away from Urban Meyer because I think there are far better solutions for what this program needs right now. 
but I, I understand the, the straight desire to win at all costs and Urban might be able to provide that. Yeah, I agreed. Um, I guess next I will give you two names that I would be absolutely overthrilled with us getting our hands on. And that is Dave Aranda from Baylor and Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. And I don't know if we could pull either of them away from their current positions. Um, Luke Fickle being that I think he's waiting for Ohio State to open. I don't think Ohio State will open anytime soon, but that is something to consider. Um, the other is Dave Aranda. He has had one season, one full season as the Baylor head coach in a second season right now. He's shown improvement. He has shown success. And I would think that would be an awesome hire. But is he the one to leave Baylor right now where he's having success to come rebuild a Nebraska program that hasn't had recent success? I don't know. Is there a big enough price tag that Nebraska could put on this job that we could say, hey, we'll pay you this much to pull you away? I think yes, because Nebraska's boosters and Trev Alberts, Alberts said this, money is no object for this. We paid our coach $7.5 million to not coach for 15 days or whatever it is. We have the money. We can, we, can, we can get with the big dogs. We can get in bed with basically any coach monetary-wise we want. Oh, with this new one – billion dollar media rights deal that's about to hit the big 10 yeah there is there is no question that nebraska has no problem with money but i i think what i'll say about both those names is that if you're a nebraska fan you sign up for that you run a thousand miles you do whatever you possibly have to do to get either of those guys i just think both those guys are a fairy tale and, and i just can't see happening because I think Luke Fickle, like you said, he is waiting basically for Ohio State to open up and waiting for Ryan Day to slip up and maybe get canned there. It's his dream job. He's got such a great job right now at Cincinnati that it's hard for me to see him leaving for a job like Nebraska when he could probably have any job in the nation that he wants when it comes to something opening up. And on the flip side, I I, I think you're right. I think he hit the nail on the top of the that He's He's done such a good job there in such a short amount of time. Does he want to abandon it all and jump to Nebraska? But both those guys would be fantastic hires. I just I don't know if Nebraska if it's one of those things where I think those guys are no offense. I think they're above Nebraska um, at this point in time. Now I don't think that there are bad options out there because I think that a guy who I think is very realistic in my opinion that I think would do fantastic in Nebraska. And if I'm Trev Alberts, I walk. I, I drive across the state of uh, I drive across the river and I go into the state of Iowa and I show up in it's not Iowa City for uh, Iowa State where is Ames. Ames that's right and I show up in Ames Iowa and I, I tell Matt Campbell blank check what is your number and I get Matt Campbell because I don't think that there is anybody who has more a better idea of what he needs to do in that region. Um, a propensity to recruit well, to overachieve at a program that's struggling at a full-time bad program. And then I think that the guy develops recruits extremely well. And I think that's exactly what Nebraska needs to do. Their talent's not bad. They're 24th overall in the composite rating. They have a better talent pool than what Auburn has and what Kentucky has and what Arkansas has. They have a better talent pool than all those teams by recruiting rankings overall for the last four years. 
and they're just not developing. And I think Matt Campbell could be the guy that could come around. And I'm not saying turn it on quickly, but he could get you to a bowl game, I think, next year. Agreed, yeah. And I think I think he is the the smart, safe bet, the realistic bet. Um, I think it is a job he would take um, because of the uncertainty with the Big 12. Um, and I think that's another point to Luke Fickle. Um, Cincinnati just signed on to go to the Big 12 as well. And I, I don't know if that will be a conference in five years or whatever. All this yeah, realignment it's, it's, is done. It's tough. I just think that with somebody like Luke Fickle, they, that guy would be – if any job opens up at a big name for him, he, he could go take things on me. I'm sure he could have LSU if he wanted it. I think – well, I, I don't know if he wanted Notre Dame or not, but he was clearly a, a person that was in a writing for that Notre Dame job. Um, and so – I think the guy could go out and get anything. And so I just don't know if Nebraska is the one. Nebraska can settle for, but that's the one he's going to jump to. Uh, but it's hard to tell. I mean, I don't, I don't know where his head's at. And I think this this name might surprise some people, but I think um, a guy from a very, very good conference uh, that would fit in very, very well at Nebraska would be Mark Stoops from Kentucky. Um, I think that's a name that – maybe not a lot of Nebraska fans are very familiar with, but what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky has been downright incredible. The man just passed um, Bear Bryant for most all-time wins at Kentucky uh, this past Saturday with his win. And what he has been able to develop there is truly incredible. Kentucky has been the second best overall program, in my opinion, in the East, they haven't proved it, but they've been the most stable one over the last five, six years. Um, he's gotten two 10 win seasons, if I'm not mistaken there uh, in his tenure, last seven or eight years. I think that he would fit in at Nebraska with the style of football that he plays. He knows that area of the country very well. I believe he was born and raised in Iowa and I don't know how happy he is at Kentucky with uh, being second fiddle to to the Kentucky basketball program. Him and uh, John Calipari had a little bit of a scuffle before the year uh, about, you know, booster money and where it should go. And uh, I don't know, maybe he's ready to jump to a bigger program and try and go win a national championship. The only problem is the guy's probably got the comfiest job in all of college football where he just is going to walk around campus and be an all-time legend if he never leaves. And, he may never win a national championship, but not everybody's driven by winning a national championship. Yeah, um, he is definitely an interesting name. And, and one thing that you said, Nebraska fans not being familiar with Mark Stoops, um, his brother was Bob Stoops, the coach of Oklahoma, our bitter rival. So that might be kind of weird for Nebraska fans if we hired Bob Stoops' brother. Um, there's, there's probably, there's honestly no hatred to Bob Stoops um, in Nebraska, at least, at least from me. Um, the same thing goes for Mark. I think it'd be an interesting hire. Um, the thing is with him, he took, it took him a while to get to K- Kentucky to where they're at right now. And I don't know if Nebraska fans have the patience, especially right now, um, to give Stoops enough time. Uh, I think Frost was unique because he was a native son to Nebraska. We gave him time because of that. I think it bought him an extra two years, honestly. Um, Stoops wouldn't have that. Uh, I, I think anybody well, that comes in gets three years. They get they it, it, that's pretty much the right. guarantees three years. Right, but I, I don't. 
I mean, you kind of said it with your Iowa State take. Uh, he he's been out recruited by Iowa State. I, I don't know if he's good enough, a good enough recruiter to drop prospects to Nebraska. Um, whereas a guy like I'm not going to bring up the guy I've already brought up six thousand times. Um, a guy <laughs> like Matt Campbell, he could. Uh, Matt Campbell's a young guy. He's he's relatable to recruits. Um, I, I think he's probably very smart with NIL and stuff right now. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, we'll we'll see, and then we'll see we'll see where this takes us in the next five six months. I'm sure it'll be before that before we get a, where we get a higher. There's gonna be a million. Of, there's gonna be a million and one rumors. You're gonna hear so many people get yep. asked about it in their press conferences. Hopefully, it's not like Tennessee. Every sitting head coach. Hey, you know what? There's if you need any advice on how to do it as a fan base, and if you don't like your hire, Tennessee fans will be more than happy to show you how to get people fired <laughs> they ever become your head coach. And uh, we're, we're quite good at tracking planes. We're, we're very good at finding planes that shouldn't be able to be tracked. Um, Tennessee fans are very, very resourceful when it comes to a coaching search. There's a, there's a love-hate relationship when it comes to a coaching search in Tennessee fans. They, they love the excitement and the hot boards and the rumors, but there's also the, the hatred of the fact that, well, if you've gotten to a point that you're getting a head coach, it's because your coach sucks. Um, so. uh, I think we're I think we're pretty identical there because I we do the same thing <laughs> it recruits the message boards the tracking dragon plans everything oh um, yeah you gotta have people posted up at the airport ready to go you have you have to have people going to airports that the planes are showing up at watching to see who is getting off the plane getting on the plane um there's, there's a lot of things you got to do as a fan base to stay on top of this, but it's going to be fun. I, I mean, I'm really interested to see what Nebraska does this weekend um, going up against Oklahoma. I think it is going to be such a telling game, and I I don't even know how to make a pick on that game because I have zero clue what to expect. If Nebraska walked out there and they beat Oklahoma, it would mildly shock me. I would be sh- like a two on the shock scale. And if Nebraska waltzed out there and got beat by 30 on Saturday, that would also put me at about a two on the shock scale. If I had to guess, I guess Nebraska probably plays hard for a half and Oklahoma wins out in the second half by, by two, three scores, somewhere in the range of, you know, maybe a late touchdown puts it from a, from a 14 point game to a 21 point game or a 10 to a 17 point game. Um, I, I expect Nebraska to play hard for at least half. It's just I don't know if they can fight it for a whole game. But if they win, I'm not going to come back on here and say that that result su- just su- shocks and surprises me. I, I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, um, I really don't know. Um, I think the guys will be out there playing hard. Um, I, I don't think a ton of the players were loyal to Frost necessarily. Um, I think a lot, and this this isn't necessarily just with Nebraska. I think it's a lot of programs. I think players are more loyal to their position coaches than their head coach, to be honest, in this day and age. Um, and I know the players love Mickey. Um, I think they'll play hard for him. Um, I think his adjustments he's making in the defense, supposedly, um, could could help us, could play to our benefit. I think our offense is fine. You don't need to, I don't, don't, Mickey doesn't, shouldn't even touch that. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you put up 40, 42 points, you're not going to lose a lot of games. Uh, but I th- if I had to give a score prediction, I would probably say 38-28 Oklahoma. I think the 
Nebraska has the potential to cover. I wouldn't be shocked either way. Um, kind of like you said, um, I think we'll keep it close for three quarters and then Oklahoma's talent, obvious talent advantage and probably depth along the defense defensive side of the ball will win out for them. Uh, I don't know. I'm so used to five years of close games with Scott Frost. I, 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 I don't know how to pick games anymore. <laughs> well, you know what? If Scott Frost was there, I'd tell you Nebraska's going to lose by one score in a heartbreaking fashion because that that's what happened every game. We got to get you something else, I guess. Um, it'd be really, it'd be really funny if, in, if Nebraska pulled out a, a, a nail bite close win um that that would actually really that's what i was that's what i was telling my coworkers. that's what i was telling them i was saying that would be the most nebraska thing ever first game frost scott frost is gone is the game we finally pull out a close win especially against oklahoma who's our longtime storied rival he makes some his he makes some 98 yard two minute drive touchdown score just some stupid we did (laughs) we did it we did a 98 yard two-minute drive last week. <laughs> so put us up, And then our done. defense gave it away. <laughs> you could, you, it could be done. But no. we let another 60-yard uh, drive with 40 right. seconds left to yeah. take a 52-yarder in which we missed. But, yeah, I, we'll see what happens. Um, I'll have my eyes on it, that's for sure. But uh, let's go to what was – Almost the top story. I think this definitely this would have been the top storyline of our podcast, even with all the other upsets. This would have been the top top storyline of our part of our podcast if it had worked out. It did not, and that was Texas almost shocking the world and beating Alabama. We sat here a week ago and told you that Texas stands no chance. Um, that Alabama was going to roll. That this was going to be ugly. That it was going to look like Georgia, Oregon. And we were absolutely wrong. Um, Texas fought really, really hard. Uh, if they don't lose Quinn Ewers in the first half, if they don't get screwed on a BS roughing the passer call in the end zone, um, this if they don't get screwed by a potential missed holding call on the last drive for Alabama, they win this game. And they might win this game by 10 points. And it's not the case if, you know, what's the, the old saying? Ifs and nuts, or was it ifs and buffs, candy and nuts, or something like that? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I was beyond shocked. And Alabama, once again, looks mortal. Um, they looked mortal last year on the road in the swamp. They lose to AM on the road last year. They looked kind of crappy against LSU on the road last year. Um and then they show up and they lay an egg at Texas and escape with a win. I, Alabama has not looked like Alabama now for a couple of years. No, and I think that's just the talent gaps are, are getting closer. Um, Alabama owned recruiting there for a while. And, like, you could tell on their offense especially. Um, obviously, Jamar Gibbs is, is a talented running back, but the receiving core isn't what it used to be. Um, Bryce Young's talented, obviously still a Heisman contender and the reigning Heisman winner. Um, but, uh, I mean, like their offensive line looked meh. They couldn't run the ball. Against, they had, they had no. one big run of like 40 yards, and then I think they ran for 78 in the game. Like half the yards came on one run. After that, it was like right. the carry. 
When's the last time you ever saw Nebraska or saw Alabama do that? Nebraska last year. Uh, Alabama, <laughs> Alabama, probably two thousand what six before saving got- Yeah, before saving. <laughs> uh, no, but it's it's yeah, it's definitely weird. I mean, their their offensive line does not look good. Um, their defense played okay, um, not great. They a lot of a lot of mistakes penalty wise. Uh, Will, Will Anderson, Anderson was awful. Yeah, Will Anderson is was was not having his best game. Uh, how many? Uh, he probably himself had what forty penalty yards. Yeah, you lined up in the neutral zone like ten times. Yeah, um, that that was very characteristic of him. What really shocked me was Alabama not being able to score even with their their poor line play and not a ton of receivers that can make plays. Is they, they couldn't score against Texas's defense. Texas is known uh, over the past couple of years to have a terrible defense, and that, I still don't think they're a good defense, even even with what they showed. But I think Alabama's offense is is really hurting right now. Yeah, I, I mean, you get the hats off to Bryce Young for putting together the drive um, and a fantastic scramble uh, to set themselves up for the game-winning field goal. But no, it's just. I walked into this year saying that it was Alabama, Ohio State, and Gap, Georgia, and everybody else. And that has changed so drastically to an extent. Maybe by the end of the season, it'll look correct. Um, and we're all overreacting early in the year. But the Alabama team that I saw on Saturday, if they roll into Ole Miss, if they roll into Knoxville, if they go, I, I mean, they have the opportunity to lose more than one game, I think, in the regular season from here on out. I think they could lose to Arkansas. I, I said last week Arkansas might be the third best team in the SEC, and they're starting to really look at I, that game. Arkansas might be the best team in the West right now, <laughs> if you're going to say who's playing the best two weeks in. And so Nick Saban and Alabama better figure it out because there's – there's good teams out there. There's a lot of really good teams. Mississippi State's a very good team out there. There's a lot of talent out in the West, and nobody's nobody's going to feel bad for Alabama if they can't score. Um, no, no. And you know, you know who I do feel bad for is is Louisiana Monroe and Vanderbilt the next two weeks as tune-up games before that Arkansas <laughs> game. Man, those players are in for a world of hurt if I know Saban at all, which I think I know him pretty well. They're going to try to just do everything they can and blow these guys out and make themselves Alabama again, get that swagger back. But they need to put a uh, TV mature audience tag at the beginning of the Louisiana Monroe game. This it's going to be absolutely assault. <laughs> uh, I, it's going to look more like a WWE match out there than football. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. I know Steven will pass back, but yeah, you're right. You make it too. Saban's Ric Flair. They're gonna they're gonna flip it up two weeks. Um, see what they got, and then that Arkansas game could be for the West very very early in October. So it's just shocking, um, and we'll see what happens this year. But it, it's it's fun to see the parity. It's fun to see team the talent gap close, um, and, and you not be able to know what happened. You know, I mentioned that Alabama might might take a loss at Knoxville, and that's because the, the Tennessee hype train is. Uh, that is going full steam ahead after escaping. Chugging along. 
escaping Pittsburgh this past weekend. Um, Tennessee behind, I would say, probably 15 to 20,000 strong up in Pittsburgh uh, of their own fans traveled up there. A lot of all fans up. It was a fantastic weekend in Pittsburgh. But they that game was the exact type of game that Tennessee has lost every single year for the last like five or six years, it, every single time they lose that game. They, so they get down early, um, they fight back, they take the lead. And then the second half, they knock out their other team starting quarterback and their offense just goes inept. And it was, I don't know what it was. It was probably the worst half of offense that they've had under the Josh Heupel era so far. And they, all they put together is one field goal, um, they give up a game time drive at the end of regulation, goes to overtime, and then in overtime, Hendon Hooker, who really played terrible for most of the game, makes a big boy play in a big boy moment, steps up in the pocket, throws a beautiful back shoulder fade to Cedric Tillman, gives them the lead, and then Tennessee's defense gets a job, gets the job done. And really, that was the that's the MVP unit right there, is their defense. Their defensive line got, I think, 24. Pass or QB hurries, um, the most that they've had in a game in the last like decade um, against a very decent hit offensive line. And the, this game is so, it was just so big. It, the season wasn't over if Tennessee lose, lost on Saturday, but it opens up the rest of the possibilities for, for what Tennessee's season could be done um, from here on out. Yeah. Um, I, I, didn't get to watch the game because I was obviously at the Nebraska game, but I watched some highlights and Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy. I was not a big Brew McCoy guy just with all of his, his off field stuff, but man, he, uh, well, both those two really both looked great um, on the offensive side of the ball. And you know, like you said, your defense sounds like it, it played lights out. The, the defense line was, was clearly the winner. Um, I, I mean, the, the hurries, the hits that they were getting on Keen Slovis, it's how they knocked him out was a, a vicious sack. He got concussed, got knocked out of the game. Um, and they they did what they had to do to be able to make their stops and to, to keep this game a victory. A lot of drop passes, horrible turnovers in the wrong moments, fumble, a muffed pump, punt late, which led to that game-tying touchdown. It was just an absolute just charity – or. It, Look like a charity game out there. Some of the time, some of the mistakes that they were making. But uh, you know, all I can say is you take any top, any win you can get on the road. You know, you look at around the upsets on Saturday, and you can't really be mad winning a top twenty-five game on the road. Um, and yeah, now you, now you're a top fifteen team. You got Akron coming in this weekend, and then you get Florida in two weeks. And if you, the way Florida looks, Tennessee looks like the better team. You win that game and. Oh boy, there's you're talking about a very, very high ceiling for this team at that point. Yeah, um, I'm really excited for that game. I, I, I part of me hopes Florida looks good this week, just so their fans don't have an excuse to say, "Oh, we just stink." That's why Tennessee has beaten us for the first time in so many years. Well, no, I, I hope they have no excuses because I can't stand Florida, and I'm all go Vols. Yeah, go it's going to be. They're going to have to figure out a way to stop Anthony Richardson's legs in that game, but uh, Kentucky figured it out. I think Tennessee can too. So Yeah, Anthony Richardson didn't look very good against Kentucky. He only had four yards rushing. Yeah, how about – I mean, 
four yards rushing, hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in his two games. Um, the the Anthony the Anthony Richardson for Heisman hype uh, that that was very short lived from about uh, September what September third September tenth. No, they lived a whole week. His Heisman hype. Yeah, he looked terrible as a passer. <laughs> Fourteen of thirty-five is you're you're not winning games. You, I don't think that's ever happened. No. Two interceptions, four four for thirty-five. QBR of three point eight. That is <laughs> that's Spencer Petrus numbers, and I don't care if you're not even a college football fan. You should know how bad that guy is. Oh, poor Iowa. I I actually I know you hate Iowa. Oh, I hate Iowa. I hate I gen- Iowa. I genuinely feel bad for Iowa. No, don't. No, I do. They run their mouth. No, don't. Don't even feel bad. They run their mouth too much. They're not that good. They don't play anyone. The problem is that everybody else has hope that there's going to be change. They have no hope there's going to be change because their offensive coordinator is our head coach's son. Yeah, and their offensive coordinator is terrible. They are <laughs> they refuse I, to make a quarterback change, and you have a offensive coordinator that is way in over his head, and his daddy's the coach, and daddy ain't firing himself. Have you seen the videos of people getting Iowa's basketball coach? Yes. Uh, <laughs> was that Luke Ferentz? Is that the coach? Um, uh, it's Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, and Kirk then, Ferentz. Uh, oh, also, uh, you talked about Bob Stoops. Somebody got Bob Stoops to do a cameo, too. <laughs> I mean, I don't – these people are really for the For the listeners that aren't aware of this, Cameo is an app where you can pay basically celebrities to, to give like a, like a, say, a birthday wish or just a message, and they make it in a personal video, and they, they'll send it to you, and you can give it for someone's birthday or whatever. But people are paying these coaches, and it's usually about 50 bucks, 50 to 100 bucks, to, to give a note to Brian Ferentz or Brian uh, – Wait, it's just Brian. They don't, they're not putting the last name in because they, they don't – they're not going to try and make them like dog on their own. Like they're not supposed to know who they're giving it to. And yeah. they're making jokes about like Brian's stuck in the family business and can't, and he's just, he's not yeah. good. And his yeah. dad doesn't know what to do because his son's not, not bringing up the family business. And yeah. sorry, I, I messed up. Ed, uh, Fran McCaffrey is their basketball coach. That's who it is. Yeah. Not, Ferris is the football coach. Yeah. So that's, this, okay. This, I don't know. I, I have this much disrespect for Iowa. I don't even keep, I don't know who their coaches are. They're old white guys that <laughs> aren't, aren't, uh, very politically, politically correct. It will, we'll say that. Yeah. But it's, we'll, we'll end up with that. <laughs> I, I feel bad for him because, uh, if you want to, I think this stat says it all of how bad Iowa's offense is. It takes Iowa three plays to run what Maryland does in one play by average per play. Three plays for every one of Maryland's. That is bad. So, a lot of problems out there. And, and you know what? What offense, what ranked offense? There's 131 FBS. Got to be last. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, what offense do you think Iowa would need ranked to win the Big Ten West this year? What offense ranked? 85. I was going to say, like, if they, you, you gave them a below average, not just a poor, but like a below average, like 75, 80, some of that range. I think they walk through the Big Ten West with what I'm, it's like. 
I'm looking it up right now to see what rank their offense is. It's got to be terrible. It's got to be 120. Be... It's got to be somewhere between 125 and 130. It has right. Scoring offense. We'll see what their scoring offense is, and then we'll see what their their yards offense is. Neither can be very good because they've punted. They've punted more times than points they have, which is the only <laughs> team in the country that's done that. <laughs> that's impressive. More punts than points. Iowa is dead last in points per game behind New Mexico State, Navy, and UMass at seven points per game. <laughs> wow. And their offensive yardage is... I mean, in reality, their defense and special teams have scored all their points this year, if you think about it. because They're also last in offensive yardage per game. With 158 yards, the next lowest is New Mexico State with 230.7. 50 yards less. They, they only have a one touchdown on the year. as a rushing touchdown. Yeah, it was this past game after being set up by a blocked punt that put the ball on the 14-yard line. By the way, last week, their points were scored via two safeties and a field goal, which was also set up by a blocked punt. It is, it is insane. Their, their defense and special teams have as many points as their offense does through two yeah. games. That is wild to me. Uh, when I said uh, the the next highest offense, or next lowest, I should say, lowest yard per game offense, has them beat by 50 yards per game. They're not just bad. They're terrible. No, not, not even 50. I just did my math wrong. 80. 80 yards per game. 80. It is ridiculous how poor that offense looks. Um, I, I think I could be their offensive coordinator and have that offense whipped into shape, not whipped into shape totally, but in better shape in a week than Brian Ferentz. You know, you know what Steve Spurrier. You know what Steve Spurrier would say to Spencer Petrus when uh, he come, when he better at being, being football he, player. He would he would give him the old Steve Spurrier line, which is. Uh, don't feel bad. Don't don't feel bad, Steve um, or Spencer. It's it's not your fault. It's our fault for putting you in the game. It's not his fault that Spencer Peters is bad quarterback. It's Iowa's fault that they keep putting Spencer Peters out there because he's not a good quarterback. I mean, I don't know what you expect. That, um, but I don't know how you don't have a better quarterback on the team. If, how they can't get somebody in the, in the transfer portal. If you, the amount of good quarterbacks that, you, like we just said, if Iowa could just have a below average offense, if they had an average offense, I think they could win the Big Ten with how great this defense and special teams unit is. If they had an above average offense, you're talking about a college football playoff contender with what this defense and special teams unit can do. It's just, it's just sad. And it's, there won't be any changes and you know what maybe at this point if you're an Iowa fan you just hope that it keeps getting worse and worse because it's the way that change is ever going to happen um is that they just full-blown crash and burn so I think it's just gonna be a long long season of a lot of lot of punts for for Iowa yeah I think and I, I don't see Iowa getting any better in the next couple of years. Um, their schedule gets harder. They, they draw better teams through cross-conference cross play or cross-division play. They, they hadn't played Ohio State, Michigan, or Michigan State. Or they'd play Michigan State. They hadn't played Ohio State or Michigan the past six years. Hadn't played either of them. 
And now they draw them for the next six years every year. Is that going to change? Are the schedules going to be redone with the? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna have to. I don't know quite how they'll do it yet with USC and UCLA, but well, starting next year, divisions are going to be dropped in the Big Ten. What? I'm pretty sure it's starting next year uh, that divisions will be gone. Are you sure? I hadn't heard that. I thought so. Maybe it's just rumors. Okay, I I had not heard that. Um, very well could be true, but. Yeah, I, that's that's news to me. Let's see. When will divisions go away in the Big Ten? Let's see if it's actually been announced. Yes, it actually uh, – the shift away from Big Ten is on pace to start the 2023 season um, as of July of this year. Okay, that makes sense why when I was looking at the schedule, I didn't see a conference schedule next year then. Yeah, so they're going to have to redo all of that and stretch for new divisions. Um, but – yeah, so it's only going to get harder that way when you don't have the West to, to beat up on all year. That's a little scary for Nebraska. <laughs> um, let's let's transition one one last little thing. We talked about what uh, was a crazy crazy Saturday in, in college football, and I know we didn't talk a lot about the NFL week going into it. Uh, the NFL is a lot easier, in my opinion, to recap than it is to preview. Um, especially coming into the season, a lot less storylines. Um, maybe it's because I don't follow it as much. But Sunday uh, in the NFL, just as wild and wacky as the college football weekend, in my opinion. Yeah, it started off with the with the Rams uh, getting blown up by the Bills at home. Uh, you have the Falcons falconing and giving up a huge lead to the Saints. You had the Bears pulling off a very convincing win against the 49ers at a very rainy Chicago. You had a wild, wild game. Uh, Steelers, Bengals, Steelers pulling out in overtime, upsetting Joe Burrow, who looked horrible. You had Eagles roll. Oh, Eagles rolled for a while. Lions made it made it uh, close late. Dolphins rolled the Patriots. Ravens beat up on the Jets. The Commanders beat the Jags late. The Browns came back to beat the Panthers. The Texans and Colts tied which, funny enough, is still the best start that the Colts have had since 2013, starting off 0-0-1. They had lost every year since 2013, so it's still better start than all those. Uh, The Giants knocked off the Titans on the road. The Vikings beat up on the Packers. Patrick Mahomes still looks like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Chargers beat the Raiders. Uh, Justin Herbert looked fantastic. Cowboys. Uh, get destroyed at home, look completely inept on offense. You have Dak going out six to eight weeks for surgery. And then the Seahawks ruin Russ's return to Seattle on Monday Night Football. Um, there's five or six upsets I just talked about there. Yeah, I think every every game had a great storyline or a great ending. Um, that's what's awesome about the NFL. Um, there's the talent gaps so close to each other. I mean, you never really know what to expect. I am I hurt myself. I'm still more of a college football fan, but I've opened myself up more to the NFL the past couple of years, and I truly do love it. I, I love. I know we kept, we were kind of chatting about this in a text message to some friends earlier. But, you know, I love the NFL. It's a fantastic product. Um, it's you know what you're going to get each week. It's going to be crisp, clean football. It's a lot of fun to play fantasy. It's a lot of fun to cheer for and track fantasy football. Um, it's a really, really great sport to bet, in my opinion. I think you can win a lot of money at it. 
um, if you're doing it right. But at the end of the day, I think college is just a better product. It's more entertaining, in my opinion. I love the traditions of college football. I love the, the nuances. You get bigger upsets because the talent gap is so different. Uh, you get just wild, wild endings because guys aren't polished and don't know how to finish games. There, there's a lot more entertainment to college in the pageantry traditions, but I don't think either are a bad product, but it, it just becomes more and more clear the older I get and the more I watch those sports that there is a clear difference between a college football product and an NFL product. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's stark. Um, it's almost like you're watching two different games, but at heart, they, they are both football and they're both awesome to watch. There's their pros and cons to both of them. Uh, but yeah, I, I would not trade one for the other. I mean, no, and I, and I think I think college needs to make sure it doesn't get its way into the NFL with with these two the thoughts of two mega conferences and twelve team playoff and being just like the NFL. I, I think it needs to stay away from it. I think we need to keep college the way college is and keep the regionality to the sport and to to keep kind of that, that aspect. Um, I think that that's what helps drive it a little bit better than what the NFL is. Uh, I've been to I've been to a lot of NFL stadiums. I was at Heinz Field this weekend. Well, what was Heinz Field? Now at Crusher Stadium or whatever you want to call it. It's always going to be Heinz Field. It's a great stadium, but it's just the same thing to me as Nissan Stadium looks the exact same to me. Their seat's about the same, looks about the same. Um, maybe a little bit different backdrop because they're kind of on a river too. So it's just feels the exact same to me and you don't get the same as what I get at Neyland Stadium compared to what I'm going to see in a few weeks in Memorial Stadium. Those are going to be two very different atmospheres and I think that's great. Oh yeah. Um, I mean the only other I've been to Memorial Stadium more times than I can count but the only other college football stadium I've ever um, been to is, is Folsom Field in, in Colorado um, at the University of Colorado Boulder and I mean the, the difference between that and Nebraska Stadium. I mean, they're both great stadiums. Folsom's obviously not as highly regarded as Memorial, um, but I mean, it's unique. Um, th- their traditions that run running with Ralphie uh, to the Buffalo to, to kick off the game. I think that's awesome. I mean, that's the thing about college sports that are just so awesome is is there's so much tradition and so much uniqueness to every different every different background and every different stadium and every different fan base. I mean, I, I personally just love all of that. It adds, and also it's like, there's so many colleges in small towns, in, in, and you, every NFL team's in a big city. And so there's nothing wrong with a big city. I live in a big city. You live in a, in a fairly large metropolitan city. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just something quaint about a small U.S. city and getting to meet the local folk and having, you know, small town food and small town city that's just something you can't replace. I think it's one of the great things about, uh, about our country and it's what makes college towns so, so unique and fun and special. Yeah. And I, I don't think I would have ever heard of Boone, North Carolina <laughs> where the, uh, the Appalachian state Mountaineers are, if it weren't for this past weekend when they upset Texas A&M and that fan base stormed the stormed base basically i think their main street <laughs> and, it was their main street they basically the whole fans just look it up and, and rioted it's it was awesome it was awesome to see i mean that's it's, it's 
people in those small towns and, and even big towns that love college football just, just love it so much and so passionate about it. So it's so cool to see. And you know what? They're great Brings people together. The great reward for that game for winning the college game day coming to town this week. Yeah, There's, that's awesome. I think it's going to be really cool. Beautiful. What a boost. What a boost the local economy too. I'm sure oh, yeah. that'll be just a uh, just packed. Oh, I, I'm sure that entire area will be flooded with people. They're going to show out and be proud. Um, it, it's going to be really cool to show off the beautiful uh, countryside there in the North Carolina mountains. Um, very, very fun school there at Boone, and they're going to live it up this week. But, you know, that's kind of what all, all I got. I know we normally do uh, kind of some preview picks going the next week, but I got to say the uh, the slate is a little dry this week um, if you look across the look across the border or, or look across the map of games for the college uh, football landscape this week. I mean, I don't think that think Nebraska, Oklahoma is the most interesting game. Uh, I, outside of that, I don't know. Penn State, Auburn is going to be an interesting game for both those programs of what Auburn does. Both uh, coaches are somewhat on the hot seat as well for those teams. Yeah, it'll be a big game for whichever coach gets gets it done there. I mean, BYU, Oregon, BYU. I said last week, watch out. That's a group of five teams that could make a college football or well, they're independent. So a non-power five team that can make a college football playoff bid. Well, after knocking off Baylor, um, they're 2-0. They're number 12 in the country. They're going to get another top 25 opportunity on the road at Oregon this week. Their schedule still consists of Wyoming, Utah State, Notre Dame on the road. Um, Arkansas gets to come at home. What a game that could be. Um, and then they get Stanford uh, and Boise State, so they they got a lot of they got a great schedule lined up for this to be run. Um, I think it'll be uh, be a lot of fun to see if the uh, BYU Cougars, I believe they are, can, can get the job done. So, well, that's like I said, that's about all I got. I appreciate everyone uh, out there listening, joining in. We uh, we appreciate you guys week in and week out. We do this for y'all. It's a labor of love. We love coming to talk to you guys. We love sitting down and get to to jaw with each other for a little bit. And we'll have a lot more content coming down the pike uh, with hot, hot news off the press whenever we can get uh, some Nebraska scoops. So I told Brett that the moment Nebraska hires a coach, there will be an emergency pod dropped within the hour. We are going to go live the very minute we possibly can for that one. Uh, for a reactionary pod, because I think that'd be a lot of fun. But nonetheless, I think everyone enjoy this weekend. And who knows, maybe we'll just show up and get a bunch more good games this weekend. Outside of that, everyone uh, have a good week and we will talk with you next week. 